0: All right. It is Tuesday and y'all know what that means. We are here having a conversation with another absolute powerhouse in commercial real estate. Really excited for you guys to meet my good friend, Tyler Chesser. He started off as a commercial real estate broker, and now he's doing just about everything that everybody wants to do in in real estate, right? He's he's running uh, syndications through CF Capital. He is a commercial real estate and multifamily investment coach. Uh, and he's got a top 200 business podcast with Elevate, which I was actually uh, fortunate enough to be a guest on. Tyler, what's going on, man? Tyler, my man, it's great to be with you. I appreciate the kind
1: words. Uh, Man, I'm doing great. I'm like living life, taking names. I'll tell you what, it's not always, you know, as easy and, you know, as beautiful as it sounds in a bio or anything like that. But I'm blessed and grateful to be here with you, my friend.
0: Yeah. Hey, that's how it always is. Right. It's uh, it's that uh, like what social media effect. Everything always looks better than it is. I mean, that's that's one thing that I love doing on Instagram and social media, though, is is and you do the same thing is showing that behind the scenes like, hey, here's the struggle that we're actually going through. Because guess what? Raising a whole bunch of money from people to take down projects is not easy. (laughs) I mean, big surprise there. Right. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'll tell you what, man, it, it's really not. And and um, one thing that I have that's come up for me a lot recently is just gratitude, even just for small things, you know, just having conversations with people and just saying, you know what, I just I trust you. And and to me, like, even just someone saying that, hey, I trust you is such a profound thought. And even if it's, hey, I trust you enough to put 50k in your deal, or, you know, or to sell you a deal, whether it's a broker or a seller, or whoever, you know, somebody who trusts that we have, their best intentions. I mean, I, I've just been really grateful for that. And just grateful for the compound effect. Because I know, like you, Tyler, you know, it can be a grind, especially as you grow yeah. in the early stages of your commercial real estate career in particular, dude, it's an uphill freaking battle. And it still is an uphill battle in many ways. But man, I'm, I'm grateful. And man, it's fun to be here with you.
0: Yeah, man, it's it's not easy. But that's, uh, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it, right? So yeah, I'm I'm excited to, I'm excited to unpack tonight because you've had such a, I mean, a very parallel path in your career as I have. And I get asked all the time, you know, how, how are you syndicating? How are you developing? And it all started from the very beginning. So take us back to when you first got into real estate. I mean, how, how did you get into it?
1: Yeah, I got into it, um, actually about eight years ago, uh, I was in the corporate world and, um, know it was kind of growing in my corporate career It was funny because i came from a middle class background like for me i never i didn't really know many entrepreneurs i definitely didn't know any real estate investors i didn't know any prolific investors Uh, but for me i was you know i was kind of going through that early part of my career i was actually doing international marketing for a a global restaurant company and um, as i was continuing to grow in that i was starting to recognize how political that landscape was it wasn't as results driven as I had, you know, uh, expected it to be. And so I, I ultimately made the opportunity or made the decision to, to switch my career. And and that didn't really happen all in one moment, or one instance, It it really came over many years, and actually several years of kind of agony, to be honest with you, it was like, man, it was like, man, what's going on? Do I need to get my, my resume ready? Uh, or what do I need to do? But ultimately, I decided to get my real estate license. And um, the reason why I did that, believe it or not, it's actually kind of an interesting uh, story is I went to because I bought a house several, like maybe a year or two before this. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to talk to my realtor and just see what's up with him because I was asking everybody. I'm like, what should I do? This is not my path. Should I get into sales? I was doing marketing at the time and I had a sales background before that. I've always been kind of a salesperson at heart. And so I'm thinking, all right, well, maybe I'll get into sales and, um, you know, I decided to ultimately go to a seminar about real estate and it was residential real estate seminar, I took this personality test. And it basically said, Hey, you will make you know, six figures plus with your personality is a perfect fit for real estate. And I'm like, Alright, sign me up. That sounds yeah. amazing. Twist uh, my arm. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, I mean, I was making like 40 grand a year, maybe 30, maybe less than 40 grand a year. I mean, it was just crazy to even and of course, it's not all about money. But I was like, man, six figures to me sounded like, man, I'd be rolling in cash. And so I decided to get my real estate license. And so long story short, I actually started selling houses on the side, doubled my income within, you know, six months or so, and ultimately made the leap actually into commercial real estate sales, because I got referred to a group that owned a ton of multifamily office and retail property. And a lot of it was challenging and, and it had a lot of problems, but I decided to to take on those challenges and take on this amazing opportunity and really dove into the deep end and started selling income producing real estate. And along that path, I started investing as well. But that's really a long story, hopefully short, maybe it's a little long, but uh, that's, that's, that's my story.
0: No, that's exactly what we want, man. I mean, let's let's dive into everything. I think you know when you first started telling the story, and and you were like, "Oh yeah, I just bought a house." I thought you were going to take it in, in the direction of, and my agent was so bad. I figured, hey, I can do this because <laughs> I've had I've had like there are a, a surprisingly large number of successful people in real estate, both residential and commercial, that got yeah. started because they bought a house and they were like, "Wow, that that clown did a terrible job. I could do better." And you well, I actually have an
1: interesting feedback on that. So like, yeah, I'll tell you another deeper part of this in terms of the reason why I decided to do this. I had so the house that I bought, it had so many problems. I mean, I had pipes breaking in the front yard. And it was not a not a dump. I mean, it, was, it really wasn't. I mean, it was it was an entry level home, but I had pipes breaking the front yard. I had a pipe break under the garage. I had a jackhammer up the garage. Oh, I had man. 30,000 bees that built a colony in like the side of the house, like in between the brick and the siding. Uh, what else I had a big root that grew into like the the main electrical wire. And so the only reason I'm telling you all this is because, <laughs> you know, I was making like 40 grand a year. And I'm like, Alright, guys, I'm getting more effective and more impactful. So like, you know, give me a raise here and there. And so the corporate world is like, look, dude, sit in your seat for three and a half more years, and then you'll get to the next level. And then you might get to the next level after that, after five more years in that seat. And so I was like, wait a minute, seriously, that just didn't sit well with me. And so all of these problems, and I was actually just on a coaching call with a client before this. And I'm like, man, problems are gifts. And sometimes when you're in that situation, you don't realize it, but like I'm shelling out all this money to fix all these problems in my house. And I'm like, dude, this is not cool. Cause I'm like early twenties. I'm like, man, I'm trying to go out and hang out with my friends. I'm like out of college now. I'm trying to have a good time. And this is not cool. But the problems pushed me in this direction to, you know, I was like, look, I want to make more money. It's time to make more money. And so that's why I focused on making that transition.
0: I love that, man. Problems are gifts. That's such a great way of looking at it. And it's and it's really true. I mean, I I wouldn't have gotten my start. I wouldn't have left and started the cobble group had everything been, you know, fine and dandy at the firm that I was with before, right? Like there were some serious problems going on. And so I left and man, it was the, be- you know, I mean, it was pretty bad. Like there, there was, you know, potentially some attorneys hired and some things like that, that it just, it, it was one of those things that I just had to walk away from. And it w- it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me like this, this horrible situation. And now, you know, I'm developing and brokering and managing properties all on my own, um, which is, which is really, it's really exciting. And it all comes down to how you frame your mind around it. Right. And I love that you talk, I mean, you talk about that all the time right? I mean, that's, that's kind of one of the like core tenets of elevate, right? It's like, you know, elevate your thinking. And so that's, it's such a a great way of looking at it. I can't imagine why you didn't decide to scale into single family residential homes and like, own 200 (laughs) of those.
1: (laughs) Oh, man, I'll tell you what. So like, you know, it's funny, like thinking back when I got into residential real estate, you know, I didn't know anything about real estate other than homes, like I just single family homes was real estate to me. And as I started selling them, I started recognizing, man, this is really emotional. It's like, how do I, how do I get a handle on that? I've, I've always been very fascinated with, you know, consumer behavior or why people make certain decisions. That's why I got into marketing previously, but I was starting to apply that thinking the psychology behind decision-making and I'm like, all right, this is not a great fit. But as I got involved in commercial real estate, I'm like, man, there's some interesting things here available to us. And there's some interesting, um, you know, things that we can apply to scale this business and allow this business to serve us rather than just be the servants of our business. Because I don't know about you, Tyler, but man, I see, you know, 90% of people in America, or maybe even across the world, if they start a business, they're like, you know, they become the slave to their business. And the thing that I saw about commercial real estate from the beginning was that we can design this to serve the outcomes of our life. And yeah, is it challenging? Hell yeah! Is it risky? It can be. Um, of course, you can take that risk back by educating and surrounding yourself with the right people. But uh, man, it's worth all that challenge, and it has been worth all those challenges for me, just because it's allowed me to design a life. Man, it's allowed me to be able to take you know a, a chunk of my evening and spend it with you, and share you know educational practices with other people, so that people can break three, break through, and free you know, because a lot of people just don't have time. A lot of people are trading their time for dollars. But when you can trade your your mind and your resourcefulness, and the dollars that you create for more resources and more systems through this process, dude, that's what life is all about. For me, I never knew about this. But it it's endlessly exciting. And, um, you know, fascinating for me as I've continued to go down this rabbit hole.
0: Yeah, it's, it's life changing. I mean, that's, that's the amazing thing about real estate is that, it can be in whatever you want it to be, right? Like you want to make 60 grand a year, you can do that you can do that very easily. And then you can take six months off and go rock climbing or, or hiking if, if that's what you want to do. I know people that do that. They literally come back just to make enough money to go back to the wilderness or do whatever they their you know, hobby or passion it is, right. Or you can come out and you make $6 million a year or $60 million a year, it really is. It's boundless based on on however you want to approach it. A few years ago, i joined uh, the entrepreneur center here in nashville and there was a group there called eo the entrepreneurs organization which i'm now a member of but that was the first joining that group was the first i had ever heard the term are you working in your business or are you working on your business and now i think about that all the time every time i'm doing anything i'm like okay is this working in the business or is this working on the (laughs) business am i trying to make my time you know, more valuable, or am I doing somebody's job that I could just hire somebody else to do? Uh, so, I, man, it's it's funny I, I catch myself thinking that all the time. When, well, it, uh, it reminds
1: me of, I mean, you read the book. Um, what is it? Uh, what's the book? Oh my gosh, the E Myth, the E Myth Revisited yeah. uh, by Michael Gerber. He talks about that working on the business versus in the business. It's important, man. We got to work on ourselves as well as you know, really acting in. Sort of that process as well. And to me, I think it's really important to have a vision for where you're going to have a vision, not only for your outcomes that you're wanting to create in your life, but also the vision that you're reverse engineering your real estate portfolio to serve those outcomes as well. And so you know, you think about most businesses, as we were talking about, you know, 90 plus percent of businesses either fail or, you know, they don't last past five years. And I think it's because most people have a tactician mentality. It's hey, you know, I was a plumber. So now I'm going to go create a plumbing company. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to be the best plumber out there. Well, you know, a lot of people don't think about well, wait a minute, how am I, you know, what's my marketing look like? You know, what does my bookkeeping look like? What does my customer relations look like? What does my organization look like? What is my, you know, investment strategy and all these different things. And so working on your business, working on yourself, that's why I'm such a big proponent of personal growth. Because I think, you know, we are, sort of the vehicle that serves the vehicle that then serves our outcomes. And so to me, it's all this perpetual thing. And who you become as a process of working on yourself and on your business is an incredible, incredible uh, thing as well. So I appreciate
0: you bringing that up. Yeah, I mean, when you go off and you start your own company, or you're going to go into real estate, and you do your own thing, you then become the weakest link. Right, like you are the weakest link. Your company, your business, your revenue can only grow as much as you grow in tandem alongside that, or before that, right? Because it all comes down to how much you're willing to invest in yourself. I think. Uh, I think Michael Gerber. I think the the term is so funny, but Michael Gerber called it what an entrepreneurial seizure. Or something like a technician having an entrepreneurial seizure, (laughs) like yeah, you're you're a guy that was really good at framing houses, and you decided to start a company around that. But you there's so much else to to running a company. Um, So talk to talk to us about about multifamily brokerage. I mean, it's it's a notoriously difficult industry to get into, right? I mean, I know guys that have interviewed. I mean, there was one one of my buddies had like 50 interviews between nashville and i think dallas texas he was he was interviewing in both places before he finally landed a job but and then this was probably like in 16 or 17 you know back when the mar- i mean the market was really competitive but not nearly like it is now right yeah. um so i mean talk to us about that and and you know one how you got into into or onto a team there and then what it was like being in multifamily brokerage i've actually never brokered multifamily so i think it's fascinating
1: yeah. So when I got started, so I, I will say that there's definitely things that happen in our lives that, you know, can be luck or maybe it's, you know, maybe the opportunity is placed there and you just kind of take it and grab it by the horns and run with it. And I definitely think that that happened for me because I stumbled into multifamily, man. When, you know, when I got my real estate license, like I said, I was selling houses yeah. and I got referred to a group that owned $30 million worth of apartments. And to me at that time, like $30 million may as well have been billion. I mean, like, to me, it was like the most amazing thing ever. And so I was selling, you know, it was, it was probably several hundred units, it was probably five or 600 units uh, across a scattered site portfolio. And that was how I really kind of got my hands dirty and got my feet wet or all the, you know, all the corny phrases that you can think of. But, you know, I started selling those properties. And what I was doing is I was learning, but I was serving and delivering value in each and every deal. And so some of the deals were, you know, 10 units. Some of the deals were 60 units. Some of the deals were 24 units. I mean, some of the deals were mixed use where you'd have retail and, and office and or, or retail and multifamily or, you know, office and multifamily. So I was really getting my hands dirty. And as I was in it, you know, I was focusing. I, I didn't realize it at the time because I didn't know the landscape of the of the market but I was in sort of the boutique brokerage space, right? And obviously we know in commercial real estate, you can either be in a boutique brokerage space, or you can be in more of an institutional brokerage space. And, you know, so I was serving more of your your local or regional investors uh, acquiring multifamily assets. And so I really learned not only the language, uh, but what is really, you know, attracting certain investors or or, uh, more demand for certain properties than others and what it really takes to negotiate agreements. Um, And so kind of, you know, getting my, you know, getting my feet wet, but also learning, you know, about cash flow and really how to really value particular assets based on the risk. And so through that process, I was like, man, you know what, there's a lot of moving parts here. I was kind of overwhelmed in many ways, but I was also doing a ton of deals, which was a lot of fun. So I went out and I got my CCIM designation. And as I got my CCIM designation, I went out and really understood truly what it means to, you know, find a deal that makes sense and what a deal doesn't make sense and what does that look like and how to really get into the weeds on the numbers and, and truly, you know, negotiate with principle, um, but also layering that over and negotiating and understanding that human beings are uh, emotion based and driven, you know, individuals, like every single one of us, while we think we're rational we're emotional. And so layering on those things, you know, has been really important for me. And, you know, one of the greatest skills that I developed through that, that experience was negotiation, right? Because in any moment, in any negotiation, you can make or break, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars, depending on the transaction. So that's how I got into the space. I really stumbled into it, but I built my business through referral because it was that it was about, I, I just knew intuitively that if I delivered great results for every client that I worked with, they might give me another opportunity. And what I learned was most of the investors that I was working with and that I was finding, you know, were doing repeat business or, you know, they, walk, they, they ran around in circles with other people who were doing the same thing because, you know, the 80-20 rule was at play, right? 80% of the results or 80% of the deals were being done by 20% of the people in the market, if not even less, right? That's the rule of thumb. But I was able to identify who are those whales and who are those people that are doing big deals. And I was able to really kind of leverage one deal into another, into another, not only by referral, but by becoming the apartment guy. I mean, truthfully, my perceptual positioning in the market became that if you're going to do a multifamily deal, you're going to do it with Tyler Chesser. And that was a blessing. But it was truly through focusing one deal at a time one deal how can i maximize value here for my client how can i maximize you know value if we're selling the deal or how can i negotiate the best deal for my client if i have a buyer if we're doing a deal off market and you know how can i understand motivation and meet up you know and really match terms of this deal to reach the outcomes that both parties want to reach so that you know they'll have a, a you know a good good sort of you know experience working with me and so it just kind of snowballed. And the more and more I did with it, I was like, all right, well, you know, I'm making great money. And I remember this, I remember this, Tyler, and I'm sure you do too. The first (laughs) big tax bill that I got, I was like, wait a minute. wait a minute. I'm doing all this for what now? And now I got to say, what type of check? And I'm like, hold up. So there's got to be something better. And then of course, I started buying real estate. It wasn't because of tax. It was not because of that. But it certainly helped
0: in a very big way. Uh, But man, I'm sure you remember that. Yeah, that was painful. I think it was my my fourth or fifth year, I finally uh, had to write a check to the government that was bigger than the amount I made my first year in real estate. And uh, I remember calling my CPA and just being like, what are we going to do about that? Like, I can't afford to just keep paying this. So, I mean, of course, you know, now we're doing all sorts of tax strategies. That was before I started investing, before I started taking yep. advantage, of, uh, advantage of accelerated depreciation. But, yeah, man, those, those were painful. How, how important do you think starting off at a boutique firm was for your career? Because I, I actually did the same thing. I started off at a boutique firm. I mean, I was the sole in-house leasing agent for a development company right? So I mean, that's about as boutique as it gets. And I look at my contemporaries, because I started about eight years ago as well. And a lot of them, you know, if they were corporate, uh, if they were the corporate guys, they're still, you know, 100%, they may be investing in some stuff with other people. But it seems to me like the boutique guys got a little more exposure to you know, how the numbers work, what construction really is, what development actually looks like, how how to raise capital. I mean, did you have a similar experience with that?
1: I mean, I'll say that I think that um, the boutique approach really kind of served me in in many ways. But one one way is that it allowed me to further develop street smarts, which I think street smarts are really important in commercial real estate. Um, just understanding dynamics, understanding the players and truly having a really hands on approach to every moving part. And I will tell you that as I continue to grow and scale in my brokerage business, I looked at the institutional firms and said, man, how can I replicate that? Because I felt like I was doing everything. And, you know, of course, I built a team and things like that. But, you know, I think that there's a there's definitely value in both approaches. In fact, my business partner today, uh, he actually came from the institutional side of things. And so he has a different perspective than I do based on his his experience and so he was he was a he was a broker with CBRE and so obviously I came up in a different uh, realm but those two types of experiences I think are valuable from those vantage points but yeah you know I think for me it was like I had the opportunity to really get my hands dirty on every aspect of the deal sometimes with some of these larger firms you know it's like all right well we're you know the deal is in contract to close or what have you and so you know the team is taking care of this that and the other and so you know, you don't really understand how to manage due diligence or how to manage, you know, the expectations or how to, you know, really get a deal from, you know, not only the very beginning of whether it's marketing or otherwise, but from, you know, actually executing an agreement to the closing table, and then also advising clients beyond the closing table. It's like, how are you going to actually execute on our pro forma that we crafted together? So it was an extremely hands-on approach that I was actually learning through the experience of my clients, because we would sit down and I'd go through a discounted cash flow analysis and we'd say, Look, here's what we believe is possible based on our due diligence, based on you know, our underwriting of the asset based on the market analysis and all these things. And we'll do this together. But I want to see you succeed. So we do another deal together. And by the way, when they succeed, that gave me more confidence to say, Look, if I can advise them to make these type of decisions, why can't I do the same myself? So to me, I think that extreme hands-on approach served me in so many different ways, but it allowed me to really understand how impactful our decisions can be if we truly, you know, if we take ownership. I mean, because you can either pass the buck and say, well, you know, so-and-so in this department didn't do that, but I think the boutique brokers, you don't have that luxury. So at times, and I know you probably feel this way, Tyler, is that there's times where you're like, man, I really wish that I could just delegate this, delegate this, delegate this down. And of course you can, you can build a team, but I do think there's a gift in having to be that
0: hands-on. You know what I mean? Exactly. You can only do that to such a certain extent before it really starts losing what, what is special about it, which can be frustrating as a business owner at times, but also, you know, I love what I do. So, I mean, I'll work 12 hours a day. Like I don't care. I'm happy to, I'm happy to be diving into it. I mean, when I, when I was working for that development firm, I mean, it was, you know yeah they gave me a shopping center and an office building and I was really in charge of leasing that but same with you it's it's every day it's I'm working with the property manager so I'm learning property management I'm sitting in on the weekly development meeting so I'm learning how they're putting these development deals together I mean you just don't get that experience anywhere else and now today I mean we are uh before I got on uh this the show with you I was on a call with a group um, that's outside of Nashville, can't disclose where really, but they own several hundred thousand square feet in Nashville that they have office space that they need to kind of be repositioned, leased and managed. And they're looking for a local group to do that. And they're not talking. I mean, the reason that we're at the top of the list is because of that experience. You know, when we come to these owners, it's a, hey, look, I don't just look at this from a brokerage perspective. We bring the property management perspective. We bring the construction perspective. We bring the asset management perspective. We know all the different implications of every aspect of the deal, which I'm sure you too, like it's just, it's an incredible benefit to your investors.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, it's a holistic, you have to be holistic in how you look at deals, right? Deals are not one-dimensional. People are not one-dimensional. Negotiating agreements is not one-dimensional. So you have to have a full understanding of all the different dynamics. Like, how is this really going to play out on a property management standpoint, right? Like, is this reality, is this pro forma that we've put together on paper, is there any sense of reality around this, right? You know, because you can have a team of analysts, you know, in New York or somewhere that think they know the market by reading CoStar or by reading a Yardi report or what have you, or by, you know, reading the front headlines of, you know, your, your local financial times, or your national financial times, whatever. I mean, there's such a difference in being on the streets and truly understanding what is the demand because it changes, it continuously changes demand. There's just such a value in really understanding that and having that real experience across all of those different processes. Because then I think you can scale I think it almost is like you got to like earn your stripes. Uh, in, in my opinion, you earn your stripes, and then you can build and grow and allow other people to do that on your behalf. But what do you think about that, Tyler?
0: No, I, I agree, man. I mean, I was just thinking, you know, the the interesting thing about that is like, you know, you would think naturally somebody coming into Nashville from out of market is going to go with a CBRE or a Collier's or Cassidy, you know, Avis and Young, one of these bigger groups because they may be dealing with them in another market. But we get calls from groups that may work with them in another market in their local market, but they'll call us when they come here for that exact reason. I mean, it's, it, you know, you, you get a completely different perspective on the market that, you know, you may not necessarily get from the guys that are, you know, 100% brokerage full time. So I think I think that's a great way of looking at it. We've got a question coming in here from uh, from Miguel, uh, college student trying to get into real estate investing, but it's difficult with COVID. Uh, for example, I called a loan officer today to get pre qualified for a loan, uh, which and they said it was difficult for investors. What should I do since I don't want to give up? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, my my initial read, Tyler, would be that as a college student, it's probably gonna be next to impossible to get pre-qualified for a loan. But what you could do is go partner. I mean, this is what I tell everybody. Like if you wanna get into development, partner with a developer. You wanna get into syndication, partner with a syndicator. You wanna get into brokerage, you know, partner with a broker. Go find somebody that's already doing it and figure out how you can bring them value. Because my first development deal, I didn't have to sign on the loan. I didn't have to negotiate the loan. I went and found it, put the whole thing together, brought it to a developer with a nice little bow on it and said, will you give me 10% for doing this deal with you? And they said, absolutely. So, I mean, that worked out really well for me. I I think finding a partner. What do you think, Tyler?
1: Well, first of all, what I would say is for the committed, there's always a way, right? If you're committed to becoming a real estate investor, find a freaking way. Are you just, you know, if you're just interested, then any inconvenience will, you know, you'll say, well, you know, I just wasn't meant to be a real estate investor. So if you got one no, let me just tell you, that's great. That's one no. So what do you need to do to refine your pitch? What do you need to do to continue to network and ask, you know, others? Because one no doesn't mean, you know, unlimited no's. It means one no, right? There's so many others. There's 7 billion people in this world. And you know what? I'll tell you one thing is the more and more you educate yourself the more you realize how much money is out there does it have to always be conventional no Um, the other thing i'll say is that pre-qualification in commercial real estate for the most part unless you're a business owner is not really a thing right if you want to buy commercial real estate it's based on the income that that property produces so what is the asset that you are putting together? And how have you assembled the resources to buying a piece of property? So what I would encourage this listener to do is to go out there and find deals network with players like you were talking about Tyler, Um, you know, find deals before you, you know, really are asking for pre qualification, because if you're buying a house, it's vastly different than how you're going to finance commercial real estate, commercial real estate lenders are going to say, Hey, What's the income that this asset provides? What's the risk that it presents? And then, you know, then we'll back into our, our presentation. Of course, I'm not saying don't network with lenders. Continue to build your network, show people your expertise, show people your commitment, show people how you're going to de risk yourself by partnering with other people. But also, how committed are you, man? Are you just going to have one question? And I don't mean this to be flippant by any means. I just want to challenge this listener to keep going out there. And get after it because you're going to get knocked down. I'm telling you, if you want to be a real estate investor, you're going to get knocked on your ass all the time. And you're just going to have to keep getting up, keep getting up. That's all I would say.
0: Yeah. You're going to get punched in the face like every day, (laughs) just about. That's right. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's every no is that much closer to a yes. And Miguel, I'll tell you from my personal experience, two years ago, I bought four office buildings for a total of like five or six million dollars and they didn't once ask me about my credit score they didn't once ask me for a pre-qualification i went to go buy a personal residence which i'm not big on buying your own personal residence we we could save that for another time i've talked about that plenty but i was actually going to airbnb it uh because airbnbs were doing really well i couldn't get qualified to buy a home I had just bought $6 million worth of commercial real estate could not get qualified to buy a home because it's actually more difficult to get qualified to purchase your own residence than it is to buy investment properties. Because of the same reason that Tyler said it's the the the, uh, the property's value, or the loans and all that kind of stuff is, is mostly based on the income that that property can produce, not necessarily your financials. Now your financials will matter, right? I mean, it's not just that that goes away. But it's it's a bit of a different bit of a different beast. I I didn't have any credit because I never had a credit card. So despite (laughs) having despite having uh, the job, despite having plenty of cash flow, and despite buying all those bills, that's like one thing to me that's so ridiculous about the residential real estate market. I don't know how that's even possible. But there we go. I'm off my soapbox.
1: No, I mean, they're (laughs) underwriting you, right? They're underwriting you and what the commercial real estate lender is underwriting the asset. So there's different, like you are the asset for a residential lender. And, you know, for a commercial lender, the asset itself is the asset. So it's interesting. But of course, they're looking at how are you going to operate, right? Because decisions, you know, make all the difference, right? And your character makes all the difference. So of course, they're going to look into that. But I think that's valuable insight. I love that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you have the most famous four letters after your name in the world of commercial real estate, CCIM. I just <laughs> finished up my last class, which I was, nice. I was down in Atlanta for, man, it was a miserable few days. Just I mean, <laughs> sitting sitting in class from eight to five, uh, four days in a row, I had to drive down on Sunday. So it was Sunday through Thursday, um, it was rough, but I, I mean, the classes are incredible and man, it is, it is going to be so worth it when I get that designation. How has that, I mean, 104 was the best class for me because I mean, it actually teaches you how to underwrite. So if you want to know how to mm-hmm. underwrite, either you check out my videos on underwriting or go take the CCIM class. You don't have to go for the designation, but I mean, how, how did that designation impact your career?
1: It impacted it in a big way. And, and the, the actually, the biggest way I think was just credibility. Um, because, you know, young guys, right? You know, young guys, most of the people in the industry when I got started, I think it was the same for you, Tyler, was, you know, most people were significantly, I mean, like decades older than me. So they're looking at me <laughs> yeah. like, how are you going to handle this multi million dollar transaction, young whippersnapper? And so for me, it was like, I wanted to prove to people that not only I was committed, but that I was an expert as well. And so, you know, going through that process obviously does transform your understanding about commercial real estate and all of the multifaceted dynamics that we talked about just a little bit earlier, because no deal is just one dimensional, right? You, you, it's not like you look at an office building and you say, well, you know, this is a good deal because of one factor, right? It's going to be a good deal based on all these other factors. And by the way, you never eliminate risk. You just manage it, right? You manage risk. And you understand that through the process of education and you know, really understanding how the global economic uh, forces really impact local economic forces, as well as understand, you know, the driving forces of different asset classes, what is risk and how does that really show up and how can you mitigate risk and how can you really get in the granular details and really get your hands dirty on all of these different factors for a pro forma, I think it's super important. So, you know, me is like you know it's so interesting because i look back and and i I couldn't tell you you know between 101 and 104 like which class was most important but the entire process in itself i think is transformative and understanding from a very high level and then drilling into the details and using those to make decisions because at the end of the day the quality of your results in your real estate business is a direct reflection of the quality of the decisions that you make and that all comes down to property assumptions. That all comes down to what type of deals are you looking at? You know, what type of deals are you saying? That's not a fit for me because I don't know about you, Tyler. At some point, you know, your success almost kind of can hinder you if you're not careful about saying, hey, this is not a fit for me or this is not what we're looking to do. This is not what we're looking to accomplish. You know, so we're going to have to pass on this, you know, because I think there's some thought in your mind that says, hey, I want to look at every single deal because I don't know when the next deal is going to come. But you have to be selective. And so I think going through this process and getting clear on not only what it is that I want to accomplish within this business, but how can I do that and get super granular on that and understand the market forces that are impacting my assumptions, right? Like we buy apartments, right? So we need to know what's going on with jobs, what's going on with migration, what's going on with income levels, what's going on with, you know, all the things that you're dealing with, Tyler, like what's going on with retail, what's going on with industrial properties, what's going on with you know, office and what have you, and how does that impact that particular submarket, right? What, what, how does that impact that particular block? And when you apply things that you learn in a class to reality, then you can test your assumptions and you can almost refine it and say, all right, well, that made sense in the classroom. But now when this discounted cash flow analysis is in reality, how did this really impact? And so, I mean, the first deal I ever did, Tyler, you know i was applying my i was applying my knowledge from ccim i got my ccim in 2017 actually it was in toronto which was a blast by the way nice. it was so much fun uh, yeah, we, it's awesome. we we had a good we had a good time let me just tell you that uh, <laughs> so, so uh, that was fun but man you know i i applied my learning and i actually i bought a deal uh, about a year before that and i made a ton of mistakes but i had to you know course correct along the way but ccim helped me with that it helped me strategize and get creative. And I think when you invest in yourself and you invest in your education, you have the opportunity of being creative. And I think that's one of the things that I really admire about you, Tyler, is that you're creative in the way that you look at deals. But that didn't just come naturally for you. That didn't just come you know, from second nature. That came from your experience, that came from your exposure, that came from you know having some failures, perhaps that was maybe more feedback than anything else. But that is really how it's resonated with me. But man, it's, it's an important thing, I think, to invest in yourself. If you're really serious about this business, um, you know, whether you do CCIM or, or, or educate yourself in some other way, whether it's reading books or listening to a podcast or watching a podcast like this, you've got to be committed to you know, giving yourself input on a consistent basis and then applying that and seeing how that really works for you. But what do you think about that, Tyler?
0: Yeah, I think it was Miles Davis that said, you've got to know the rules before you can break them. And that's mm-hmm. 100% true. I mean, you're, you're right. Like it didn't come naturally to me. It wasn't like I just got into commercial real estate and started doing these wild, crazy deals. It, it, it doesn't work that way. I mean, in fact, I spent over five years learning uh, before I really got comfortable with, with that side of things. So you just have to become the best investor you can possibly be and CCIM obviously has helped me become that. I mean, I'll tell you the within 2 months of taking my 104 class on how to underwrite, I sold a 1.8 million AT&T in Chattanooga that I never saw, the client never saw. We had just I properly went through the underwriting and everything like that and I was like, man, th- this one deal just paid for all <laughs> of my classes. Like, thank you CCIM. <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, if you're looking at getting That's into awesome. it uh, it's that's a great one to take. Um, yeah, it was it was a, it was a really good experience. But yeah, I mean, look, see, the brokers that have in behind their name, I mean, that, it's a it is a lot of work to go through all of that. Uh, I, I call it the equivalent of the CPA for commercial real estate investing. I'm sure a bunch of CPAs would get really mad at me for saying that. Um, so send your, send your letters to somebody else. Uh, but um, hey, by the way, if you're joining us live, and you have any questions for Tyler, let us know in the live chat, we'll be sure to get around to those. So Tyler, when you were, uh, so you're, you're a multifamily broker and you're starting to transition into investing. What was the first investment you did?
1: Yeah. The first investment I made was an eight unit property. Um, it's funny looking back, you know, I, I actually reflect on this deal a lot because when I got into it, you know, the, the words that I was always told was, Hey, value add, look for a value add deal, look for a deal that you can add value to that you can increase the income that you can increase the value of the property, of course, which is really the essence of value add. But looking back, it was actually more of a much more of a distressed asset uh, than a value add. So that was the first deal I ever did was an eight unit uh, property. It actually had a three car garage as well, which I rented separately. So you could consider it nine units from that perspective, but eight residential units uh, and an additional uh, storage garage there. So that was the first deal. I bought it in uh, 2016 bought it for 310,000. As I was uh, going in and renovating the units, it was, you know, I knew the property needed work, but I did not realize how quickly it would need work and how many surprises I would run into. Um, So I actually had to evict half of the entire property because half of the tenants were not paying rent. And it's so funny because as I was learning about real estate and I'm helping people evaluate deals and I'm, helping people do deals. And I'm doing a ton of deals myself. You know, I'm like, man, closing table, we're gone. Like, congratulations, you're about to (laughs) cash flow and life's going to be good. And I didn't realize that, you know, life is not always as rosy as it sounds, uh, when you're actually operating a deal. So you've got to anticipate, you've got to be ready for major challenges. And we had some major challenges on this deal. I mean, we had, I don't know if it was a loaded rent roll or what. Or if, you know, the, the owner was just letting people live there without paying rent on time. But, you know, it's so funny because I would read books and it's like, Hey, look, if your tenants don't pay rent on time, like you serve them, you know, you serve them a notice. And if they don't pay by that time, you, you get them out of there. And it's, and so I followed that to a T and then the next thing I knew was I had a 50% occupied asset, which was by the way, negative cash flow And I'm like, holy shit, like, this is not good. Yeah. And uh, so I, so the first thing I do is like, all right, well, I need to go in here and get these units rent ready. Next thing I realized is that my budget was nowhere near what it, where it needed to be, because I was expecting to absorb, you know, these vacancies over the course of, you know, maybe 12 to 18 months. And of course, they come within, you know, month two and three. And I'm like, holy moly. So, you know, it was a challenging period of time. Um, looking back, it was not nearly as daunting as it felt. But I can tell you that I felt like I was earning my stripes. And, and I, I do truly feel like I did earn my stripes in many ways on that first deal. But it continues to compound. I just make less mistakes on each deal moving forward. But, man, that one was tough. I mean, I just, I just did not know what I didn't know. But I, I think that I would have never put myself in position to learn those things truly, you know, if I didn't experience it. Because there was things that, like, they hit my pocketbook. I mean, as corny and as, like, old school as that even sounds to say pocketbook. I mean, when, when things hit you from a monetary standpoint, you don't forget it, man. It's like, it's like when you touch the stove, when you're like eight years old and it burns your hand, you're not going to forget that. You're not going to do that again. And so for me, it's like, man, I learned that due diligence is highly important, man. We were talking about that earlier. You know, you've got to understand like trust, but verify like what's going on truly with these tenants. Like has their history been? Like what, what is their, you know, what's the risk and what's the worst that could happen with them? What's the worst that could happen with the asset, right? Have an understanding about, you know, all the different components and get true granular, granular understanding of that and have a great contractor and have a great team, by the way, beyond just your contractor, um, not only from a property management standpoint, but otherwise. So to me, that was that was my first deal. But man, I learned a lot. And that one really, really sticks with me. I sold it, um, let's see, probably three years later, I ended up selling it for like 475000 so it ended up the, the, the wounds were healed, but that nice. was uh, that was my first deal.
0: That had to make you feel good. I, I just sold uh, my first deal about two weeks ago, and nice. uh, it was, yeah it's it's bittersweet, right? It's kind of like man, this is the, yeah. this is a deal that got it all going, but it's it's kind of time to move on. I <laughs> man, it, it is amazing. It is absolutely amazing how much you learn just on that first deal. Because I oh thought, I mean, I'd been doing brokerage for five years at the time that I bought that building. I thought that I knew. You don't know anything. <laughs> I mean, anything. Dude, you really don't. And that's the thing is,
1: like, I thought that I thought that I knew too. But it is, it's a lot more challenging when, at the end of the day, your decisions are impacted. And you know what? You got to support cash flow if it doesn't come through, right? Or what are you gonna do? You know, so it's really, really important to educate yourself. But it is important to take action and realize that, hey, you know what, you're, you're gonna earn some stripes here, but just be ready. You know, it's again, goes back to the commitment. Like I I always like for me, mindset has become extremely important, because what's wrong is always available, right. But also, what is right is always available. So, you know, I know that we talked about this just a few minutes ago about like, man, you get punched in the gut, like every day in this business. And so you can look at that and you can say, man, I'm just going to lay down and nurse this, you know, wound in my gut. Or I'm going to say, man, you know what, actually, maybe I'm getting a callus from this. Maybe I'm getting stronger. And um, I just think that mindset is super important for people who want to get into this business. You've got to ask yourself, like, first of all, are you committed? But then second of all, you know, who do you want to become? Like, who do you want to become as a result of this? And like, that's been the greatest gift of this business for me that I didn't realize this person existed, you know, I did not realize this person existed before this process. Like I said, man, I got into this because I wanted to make more money. But what I had to do is I had to transform as an individual through these challenges, like through honestly, I had like that first deal, especially like I I truly had sleepless nights because I'm like, I have negative cash flow, I got to pay this mortgage, I got to get these things rented. And man, it's like negative, negative, negative. So like, where's my focus going? Is it gonna go on the negative? And cause I, what I realized is that the more I focus on the negative is the more I got negative, you know, feedback or news. Like, it was like, oh, right. now your pipes have frozen. It's like, wait a minute, did I cause that? Or was that just another piece of bad luck? You know <laughs> what I mean, Tyler?
0: <laughs> yeah, the, uni- the universe was calling you out. <laughs> Stop doing that. Um, That's right. Yeah, it, you know, you, you said this just a minute ago, you don't, uh, you know, the fewer mistakes, Right. Like that's what it's just every deal that you do, there's always going to be mistakes. Right. But what you what you do get out of it is you start you learn how to make fewer of them. And even more importantly than making fewer mistakes is learning how to handle them. Right. I mean, a lot of a lot of LP investors, you know, yeah, of course, they fall in love with the project and they, they believe in the project, too. And that's what they're investing in. But the team is just as important because you can, uh, an outstanding team can take a mediocre deal and make it work, right? But a mediocre team can take an outstanding deal and make it fail. So Mm -hmm. it's, it really, it really does come down to, you know, are you willing to put the work in and just make it happen? You know, that first deal, There were so many times over the last two years, I was like, man, we're going to lose money on this deal. We're going to lose money on it. And, you know, it took me a while to kind of come around it. We obviously did not. We did really well. But I had to come around to the fact like, okay, well, if I lose money on this, was was it a failure? Absolutely not. Because it took me so long to get to just that first deal. And then I bought three more buildings that year. So just because I finally got over that hump, we you know, kept rolling into the next ones. And, and I think for, for a lot of investors, whether you've bought a single family house, or you don't own anything, that first commercial deal, or multifamily deal is always so intimidating. But you just got to go out and do it. And, and, you know, hopefully partner with somebody that knows what they're doing. So you can mitigate that risk a little bit. But at least just get it done. Yeah, um, Just get it done, man. Yeah, just get it done. Hey, we've got a question coming in for you from Kareem. Uh, do you invest in mixed use properties? Uh, what are your thoughts on the pros and cons of, of mixed use versus multifamily.
1: Kareem, thank you for uh, verifying that this is for Tyler C. I appreciate that because I do get (laughs) confused here. Uh, No, I I do not invest in mixed use. Um, That's not because I'm not interested in mixed use. I just have not, I mean, I've focused fully on multifamily and that kind of goes back to my philosophy is like, you know, focus. And, and I've I've done brokerage and retail and office and uh, land and industrial, but I focus on the investing side of multifamily because, you know, that's the way for me to be an expert and that's the way for me to add the best value. But as far as uh, pros and cons to uh, to mixed use, I mean, of course, I mean, you know, I think that there's a great uh, opportunity for folks to diversify your income stream through a mixed use property. It's just all depends on the particular sub market, the particular block. You know, where is this property located and how does it support, you know, the community and what type of demand is there for, you know, whether it's retail or office or, you know, and or multifamily. So for me, you know, uh, we actually looked at a, a mixed use project earlier, uh, actually during kind of the middle of the heat of COVID and it had a, it had a Starbucks on the first floor and, you know, luxury multifamily Uh, above that and you know it was interesting to us because it's it's almost like an amenity and it served the community and while you know during the heat of the pandemic most people were saying hey urban's out urban's out everybody wants to go to suburban and so we were thinking hey you know what this is an opportunity for us to get greedy while others are fearful and not fearful while others are are greedy uh just like warren buffett says but Um, you know, we, we have not focused on mixed use, but we're definitely open to it. I think it just depends on the particulars of the asset. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, you know, we don't, I don't own any, you know, solely multifamily assets, uh, but it's not because I'm not, I'm against buying multifamily, right? We just, I, I don't focus on that. It's not really my background. So I just don't tend to find those deals. They don't gravitate towards me like all the other opportunities do. Um, right. you know, that being said, I think you can be incredibly successful with mixed use. I think you can be incredibly successful with multifamily. I think you can be incredibly successful with downtown class A office space right now. Right. I mean, even though everybody's freaking out about office or they're freaking out about retail, I mean, we just bought a 330,000 square foot shopping center. You know, everybody's freaking out about big box. Like to me that it, it, there, there is always a deal to be had if you know how to work it, um, So, I mean, that's, that's kind of my philosophy and approach to it. You can be successful doing anything. Yep. So I totally agree. So Tyler, talk to us about, uh, CF capital. Did you get that started?
1: CF capital is, uh, rocking and rolling right now. I can say that, um, we actually just launched the company, um, literally 18 months ago. Um, and so my business partner, Brian Flaherty and I, uh, like I said, we both came from the brokerage space and. We just actually so it's funny this conversation is kind of coming full full circle so I met Brian through CCIM and uh, we were actually in a class together and uh, it's funny because so the other thing that we didn't talk about CCIM is networking and relationship building and um you know this was an opportunity for me to get to know Brian who I didn't know before and we built a collegial sort of relationship we'd get together for beers or for lunch or coffee every now and then and just check in on each other cuz we were both doing deals and it was it was interesting because I would compete with him on certain deals. And while I was kind of the boutique guy and a lot of the, you know, the national flags would say, well, is this guy for real? But I was bumping up, you know, against sort of the CBREs and, and folks. And so we just became good friends. And ultimately we just, you know, there was days where we talked about philosophy and just lifestyle and all this stuff. And we're like, all right, well, you know, how can we, how can we scale our expertise further and impact more people and, you know, live an abundant lifestyle and ultimately, we decided on um, you know launching CF Capital, which is a you know real estate syndication company where we focus on multifamily uh, investing across you know really this region. So we're located in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, just up the road from you, Tyler. And we focus on Kentucky, Tennessee, Indiana, and Ohio, and we're going to continue to expand sort of southeast as we go. But you know we focus on value add multifamily. Uh, typically, you know, 100 to 350 unit properties. It it has to support on-site uh, management. Uh, but right now, we're buying a 250 unit property over in Indiana, and you know, it's a value-add project. It's a classic project where we can go in and put in $4,000 worth of renovation per unit. We can lift the exterior of the unit. We can you know upgrade the amenities. We can put professional property management on the asset, and you know, over three to five years. You know, we can significantly add value to the asset, uh, you know, have a great opportunity as general partners, but also offer an opportunity to to folks, uh, you know, who are looking to invest passively and learn and put their money to work as well alongside us. And so, you know, that's really what we do. But we've got uh, I'll tell you what, man, we've got a big uh, we've got some big news and some big things that we're working on. Otherwise, we've got a deal uh, in our market that's it's a significant size of units. Uh, plus an opportunity to build some new units, and so we'll find out here in the next couple of days if we're going to be awarded that deal. And it does come down to um, relationships, and so one of the things that uh, really benefits us with CF Capital is just you know our years in the brokerage space and developing a reputation and developing you know uh, expertise and really that know-how and the street smarts and applying all those things to what we're doing now, um, and really sitting on the other side of the fence and you know, we decided to really kind of put our, put our brokerage business on ice because we want brokers to know that, Hey, we're not here to take your commissions. We're here to, you know, add value to your business and we're here to add value in in every sense of the word. So, um, you know, that that's really kind of been our transition. It's been an evolution. Um, but man, it's, it's been awesome and we're just getting started, man. We're, we're going to ramp this thing up and we're really seeing a lot of traction right now. So we're pumped about it, man.
0: I'm excited for you, man. I mean, 18 months in, uh, it's it's such a it's such a fun business to be doing. You know, it's just there's it always something new to be working on. You're always entertained, uh, which which always makes it you know just a lot of fun. How many acquisitions have you all made over the last 18 months, or how many units have you gotten to?
1: So outside of CF Capital, we're involved in over 500 units. Um, CF Capital is about to make its first acquisition, so okay. we literally had. So I'll tell you what, you're talking about a competitive market. like Oh, my God. I mean, you got started
0: at the most competitive time for multifamily,
1: dude. Yeah, it's insane. So we started in so officially, officially January 2020. And we know what happened two months later, right? So at first, we're thinking, Oh, Oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Greatest opportunity, you know, of this decade. We're thinking, you know, at that time, we called it Coronavirus. Now we call it COVID. We were thinking COVID discount. Now we're thinking, you know, wait a minute, we're looking at a COVID premium because from a macroeconomic standpoint, you nothing's know, money changed. that was flowing. Right. Yeah. Well, nothing's changed for multifamily. In fact, it's only be got, it's only gotten more and more competitive, right? You know, cap rates have compressed and there's more buyers in the market. There's more liquidity in the market. So it's made it more and more challenging and it's made it more of an uphill battle for us to to gain traction on this transition, but you know, it's the compound effect and it's one of those things where there's almost lagging indicators. So this year we're on track for about 75 million in acquisitions. Um, and so, you know, there's lagging indicators, but you know, every single year I think we'll be on track for 75 to hundred million here on out. Like that's our, that's our trajectory. It's one deal every single quarter. And uh, we've really, it gave us the opportunity to really build out a very strong foundation. So we're not out there, flying off the seat of our pants and hoping that, you know, a deal comes through and we'll figure out the systems on the back end. I mean, we're, we're really buttoned up at this point, but um, you know, we're, we're in the, we're in the mix of, you know, one acquisition that'll be closing here in about three weeks. Um, We've got another that will be closing here in about 60 days, potentially. We'll see. I I should be getting good news here within the next 24 hours, but uh, that's where we're at right now.
0: Yeah. That's, that's awesome, man. I mean, and, and the crazy thing is, you know, 75 to $100 million a year in acquisitions, it's not like that's an incredibly lofty goal in this business. Like that's, I mean, that's very like in 10 years, you could have a billion dollars in assets under management. I mean, it's, and it's completely doable. Like, that's what I love about this is, you know, you start off as a broker, you get into, you know, the investment side of things. And now, you know, a billion dollar (laughs) empire. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, man. So here's the thing, man. There's no limits. There's no limits yeah. to what you can do. So anybody who's watching this, they might say, well, but you know, Tyler and Tyler, their name's Tyler. So maybe that's why they're lucky. And you know, it's all in but the name. But anybody who's, yeah. I mean, anybody who's watching this, like anything is possible for you. It's it's just a matter of what do you believe is possible. Right. And then also what's your vision? Like get really clear. If there was nut, if there was no limits to what you could create, what does that look like for you? And so you know, that's, to me is really exciting about real estate is that there is no limits truly. But then when you apply an abundant mentality, I mean, dude, forget it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's the sky, the sky is, is completely the limit. So, so talk to me. I, Cause I think that this is going to be a really good story for people to hear. How do you go from acquiring eight units to getting 75 to a hundred million dollars in acquisitions a year? Like, how do you make that transition?
1: It was leap after leap i mean for me it was you know after the eight units it was a 36 unit after the 36 unit it was 72 after that i started investing passively in larger deals and you know 200 unit project here 250 unit project there 275 unit project to get my understanding and really you know because i was selling to folks who were doing this and i'm like at first i'm like wait so you have you know 10 million dollars put down on this deal or you have you know five million dollars put down on this deal and And I start to recognize that there's creative ways to finance deals, there's creative ways to structure deals. And it's not just about going and earning capital and putting that capital work and then, you know, allowing this deal to grow, but it's about, you know, coalescing resources. It's about offering an opportunity. It's about structuring a deal where everybody wins. And so, you know, for me, it was about making leaps, right? But it was about, it was like, once I made that understanding, I'm like, that's really interesting. How can I learn about that? And then I'm like, let's put it into practice. So for me, it was like, you know, the second deal I did was I partnered with, uh, actually a client of mine, a great client of mine who is, uh, he's actually a, a contractor in many senses of the, of, of the word, but you know, he had a construction team, so we went and bought a truly, we knew it was a distressed asset and we went in there and we added a ton of value. And I'm telling you, I mean, like we 10 X our money on this deal. And, you know, I've continued to go. And it's like, continue to go a little bit bigger because what I recognize is that the name of the game, especially multifamily real estate, and maybe you'll say the same on your side of the fence, Tyler is the name of the game is scale. And the reason why I learned that was through the hard way of doing the smaller deals. And I'm glad that I started smaller because I learned and I didn't make detrimental mistakes that totally took me out of the game. Because if I would have made the same mistakes on the eight unit, as I did the 72 unit, or what have you like it just would not it would not have been good I mean I don't know if I would have survived some of those mistakes because they can you know it can it can compound you know in either direction it's just like debt in commercial real estate can be either your one of your greatest assets or it can be one of your greatest challenges and maybe your downfall and so you know for me it was just about making leaps and it's like you know what I'm gonna have some confidence maybe I'm gonna be a little bit uh you know fearful, but I'm going to make a leap and I'm going to figure it out. And I'm going to believe in myself. So that's really what it's been for me is like, you know what, I'm just going to take another leap. So I don't know, man, it's just one step after another. But um, I think, you know, a lot of times people will look at a deal and they'll say, whether it's $200,000, $2 million or $20 million, sometimes a diff- another zero makes people kind of tighten up and say, well, I can't do that. But guess what? Like the thing that I've recognized, Tyler, I don't know if you've seen this, but the people that I admire the most or even some of the most successful people, man, they're just like me and you. They're figuring it out, right? They're just, they're just putting one foot in front of the other. And yeah, they're still making mistakes, but they're course correcting along the way. And they're also, you know, not only applying experience and, and applying, you know, what other people in their circle are, you know, advising them to do and they're surrounding themselves with other people who can help them achieve what they want to achieve. But they're also modeling success, like I don't have to recreate the wheel in multifamily real estate, because I'm not the first person who's ever done it. So I've surrounded myself with mentors, I've invested myself in masterminds. Um, you know, I, I go to conferences and all these things. And it's just about learning and applying, learning and applying. And when I apply, and it doesn't work the way I do, I don't say, wow, this is the worst thing ever. I say, Okay, how interesting is this? What am I supposed to learn from this? And what gift am I meant to learn, you know, really take from this and apply? So I don't know, man, that's been my process. And hopefully it it continues to serve me. But that's, uh, that's been my story. And I'm sticking to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, there's, there's no point in reinventing the wheel. Somebody else that's probably way smarter than you and I are has already figured out, hey, this is the best way to do it. And you know what, that's, that's a pretty good way of doing it. I mean, you know, get in, learn it, and then break the rules. Right. Once you've learned all the rules, (laughs) then then break them. Right. Um, Well, so
1: actually, can I I want to say something on that. Yeah. uh, If you don't mind. So like for me, one of the things that's been really important is learning. Like the reason why like on my podcast, like I talk to like neuroscientists and Navy SEAL commanders and, um, you know, personal growth thought leaders is because when you can apply different thinking outside of real estate, along with really committing yourself to growth in real estate. You can start to think outside the box and break rules, as you said, right? You can learn the rules and then you can break them, but then you can apply innovative thinking and identify patterns that work, whether it's in technology, whether it's in science, what have you, and apply that into real estate. And to me, that's where real magic happens. And you get to a deal and you say, man, I have no idea how to figure out this problem. It seems like, you know, there's no deal here when you start to realize that you have this labyrinth of like experience that you've gained through curiosity and through observing, you know, excellence across many different fields, it's a very powerful thing what you can do, but that's when you start to break rules is when you understand that the rules that are confined within real estate, you know, there's also rules that are confined within all these other industries and how can you break those and bring those over too. So to me, I think that's a really exciting process as well.
0: That's actually a perfect transition. So for anybody that wants to learn more about multifamily brokerage, syndication, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera, I know you've got you've got coaching. You've got a podcast. Yep. I mean, how can people find the coaching? Where can they find the podcast? How can they get a hold of you if they have any questions about multifamily real estate?
1: Yeah, so the best way to, to get a hold of me is, you know, just go to elevate. Um, just go check out elevate podcast. Um, it's on every single platform where Uh, You listen to podcasts or watch podcasts, whether it's on YouTube or what have you, uh, elevatepod.com is the website. If you want to learn more about coaching, just go to elevatecoachingacademy.com. It is a phenomenal opportunity where people learn how to make more money, have more freedom, and have more free time. Because look, man, real estate is an amazing thing, and I, I love talking real estate but i will say i want people to remember that it's just a vehicle right we're designing a life and of course you'll fall in love with the process just as tyler and myself have so it can be a humongous part of your life but don't lose sight of the fact that this is a vehicle so how can it serve us and how can our businesses serve us so that's what coaching is all about for me is about helping people design systems understand their mindset and how are they applying and making appropriate decisions so that they can live the life of their dreams so elevatecoachingacademy.com or coachwithtyler.com. And if people want to learn about CF Capital and if they want to uh, invest with us, uh, they can learn more about that at cfcapllc.com.
0: Love it. Tyler, this was a great conversation about multifamily. Thanks for coming on the show, man. My pleasure, my friend. I appreciate you having me, Tyler. Absolutely. If you are watching on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe so that you can keep getting these interviews every time we go live every Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. Central Standard. If you're listening on the podcast, please rate and review, and we will see you guys next week.